0: Nobody questions things in this country anymore.
1: Nobody wants to rock the boat. It's
0: all bullshit, folks.
1: It's all bullshit, and it's bad for you.
0: But we believe them because they're pounded into our heads from the time we're children. Children should be taught to question everything. To question everything they read, everything they hear.
1: Welcome to Question Culture with Brian and Larnette. On each episode, Larnett and I will be discussing and questioning conventional wisdom about a topic we believe is important. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at QCulture, that's Q-U-E-C-U-L-T-U-R-E. There we share the links to the documentaries, articles, and books we reference on each episode. Today we have a special episode planned. Um, we're going to be interviewing someone who I've wanted to speak with for a long time. He has an amazing TikTok channel called Schizophrenic Reads. Hello, Nathan Shurik. How's it going? good how are you guys thanks for coming on the podcast and uh and as always joined by my co-host lornette how's it going buddy hey what's going on brian uh thanks
0: for joining us today nathan and um hi everybody uh welcome to question culture uh Learned at vestal um you can check me out on twitter at evolving man lbv you can also check me out on facebook at Lornet at vestal you can always check out the evolving man project which is a website where i deep dive in some of the discussions that brian and i and our wonderful guests have on the Question Culture podcast and there's other contributors. And last but not least, you can check out uh, my wife and I uh, debut novels, <laughs> even the faders and also I in the Alphas. So if you're looking into some sci fi reading with uh, a diverse cast of characters and lots of twists and turns, you can check that out. They're um, Powell's books, the great Satan Amazon or anywhere books are sold. So even your independent bookstore, you can
1: get copies made for you. So check that out. Awesome. So, uh, Nathan, the reason I wanted to talk to you and wanted to have you on, um, basically each episode on the podcast, Laurenette and I pick a different problem (laughs) that we see with the world and kind of discuss the history of it, how we got where we are, solutions for how we can improve things. And every episode, at least three or four times, we're referencing, you know, different books that we read on the subject. And part of our solutions, we always emphasize how important it is for people just to read about this stuff. Um, cause at least for me and I'm sure, you know, probably for both of you, um, reading has really broadened our perspective and kind of gave us knowledge that we otherwise wouldn't be at, um, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't know about. And so I wanted to have you on because, you know, you have an awesome TikTok channel where you're, you're reading a lot. I mean, I, you, you must read more than 99% of the population. <laughs> I saw in one of your videos, uh, didn't you read like well over a hundred books last year?
2: Yeah, I think last year was like a hundred and thirty-five, and the year before was like a hundred and forty-five. Holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> it's almost intimidating talking to you with the wealth of knowledge that <laughs> <laughs> Nagin ears. <laughs> How the um, hell do you find the time? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Um. For me, I I live with schizophrenia, so I'm disabled, so I have a lot of free time. I don't work like a traditional job, so for me, reading kind of is my job. Um, and so I it's just something I've. I've loved doing and and it helps me spend my time in a really healthy way because reading can be like solitary and calming. And so for me, I just love to relax as as much as possible and reading fills my time. And, uh, it doesn't always emotionally help me with some of the stuff that I'm reading. It can be kind of depressing, (laughs) but, um, I do just kind of have like a voracious appetite to learn. And so it just, it's something that just never stops for me. Like I'm always wanting to pick up the next book.
1: Have you uh, have you always been reading that much, like your whole life,
2: or was that something you picked up a little bit later on in life? Yeah, I think like ever since I've been a kid, I've been a pretty big reader um, in college, like the way that I mostly handled being like a history and philosophy major was just out reading everyone in my class. Like I would just, you know, if I had to read three books for the class, I would read nine. That was just kind of my method for learning subjects. Um for me, like books have always been a really comfortable place to be. Uh, You know, just spending time by myself and thinking through an issue is a really, I don't know, quiet and comforting thing. So yeah, it was always a thing in academics. And then I went through like a few years of like a pretty big mental health crisis where I didn't really read much. But after, you know, a long while of therapy and medication and, you know, just working on myself, I got back into reading. And then yeah, it's kind of just become this whole thing where it's now, you know, not just what I spend my time doing, but it's also like this almost personality trait that I have now that I have a, <laughs> a decent size uh, social media following where it's like now I'm just expected to read and to talk about stuff. So, um, you <laughs> yeah, know, there's a little said, bit of a pressure there that I never what? had before. Yeah, <laughs> but no, it's it's really fun. And finding a community of readers is is totally a essential thing when you spend your time reading as much as I do, like, you just gotta have people that know kind of what this life is like. So it's really, it is really nice. Yeah, I guess having the community is the
1: one thing you don't have with just reading by yourself is like the social aspect. So it's good to kind of have the community.
2: I saw that you, you recently started a book club too, right? Yeah, I actually, I started two book clubs. I started like a premium book club. That's like a paid tier thing where we talk about Uh, kind of academic books. So that's a lot more serious topics, which we dive in into pretty big ideas and talk about those pretty in depth. And then I started another podcast, which is just general nonfiction. I'm picking things from the different genres of nonfiction. So the first one is a science read, and then we're skipping to history. And then the third month is like social issues. So hopefully I can get the audience there. I think there's 600 people already signed up for it, so we're just going to try to see what awesome. type of conversations we can have like that. So, yeah, you're good. It, to hopefully, go, it'll go well.
1: You're good to go, it sounds like. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm definitely going to be joining when uh, right now I'm suffering from uh, post concussion syndrome, so I can only read <laughs> about like 15 20 pages a day before my head starts to hurt. So, but I'm gonna keep at it, and you know, over time, as soon as I can feel like I can probably read at everyone else's uh, pace, I'll definitely be joining, be joining you in those. Um, but I, I guess that that brings me, what made you? So what made you make the jump from just reading um, by yourself to wanting to have a TikTok channel? Because it is kind of, you know, I don't know, a lot, a lot of people read, but probably don't think to like put themselves out there and share like you have on TikTok. Uh, what made you? What was kind of the idea
2: behind that? I think the. First thing I wanted was like a public reading journal um, just because I read so much that, you know, even by the end of the year, there's some books that I kind of forget about. You know, I just you know, it, it wasn't that good or whatever. And so I don't really have like a clear idea of, you know, some of the arguments in the books or what it was really about. And so I wanted to be able to go back and look at stuff. But also I started in. You know, I think like late 2020. So there was a little bit of pandemic boredom going on where I was just like, <laughs> yeah, I just need to do something with my time. So why not like try out making one minute videos? You know, so, <laughs> um, which for the boredom's sake, yeah, definitely cured that. And, um, for the journaling, yeah, it's also, it's, it's been nice. Um, and it's really fun to think of ways to like creatively talk about the books because I can't just give like a straight up review oftentimes with, you know, if I read a 400-page book, I can't just be like, here's all the points. Like, yeah, they would just go on for 20 minutes. So yeah. finding little ways to talk about things and and make them, I don't know, like a fun, exciting, but also accessible idea for people to, you know, think that they can also handle the stuff that I read. Because a lot of people just find nonfiction to be totally intimidating. Like, they they just don't want to pick it up because they think it's too difficult. And one of, the, like, the main objectives that I now have for my pages to like help people realize like, yeah, the stuff that I read, you can also read. Like I don't I don't have some special skill or some special talent. I just want to have more time. So you probably can't read as much as I do, but you can definitely read the books that I do. Well, so I wanted to ask you about that because that's honestly what
1: really drew me to your page because there's a lot of people on TikTok promoting, you know, different types of books. But what really gravitated me towards your page was that you mostly talk about nonfiction and I also love and lean toward more towards reading nonfiction. Um, but I find that, you know, we're we're pretty rare nonfiction readers. I feel like overwhelmingly majority of people who read, read fiction. So I was just kind of curious. I mean, I know why, I, why I'm an interested in nonfiction book, but I was kind of interested. What why do you I mean, first of all, is that accurate that you would say you lean more towards nonfiction and read non more nonfiction? And if so, like, why do you why do you think that is?
2: Yeah, it's definitely about every year. It's like 80 80 to 85% of my books are nonfiction. So yeah, it heavily skews nonfiction. And I think like for me, it's just that I I can't stop learning. Like I just, I have whatever it is in me that just wants to keep consuming subjects. And sometimes they're similar subjects. Like I'll read, you know, two books kind of like that are related in some sense, but then I'll want to skip to a whole other topic like, I have a couple books on mushrooms that I really want to get to. And then after that, I might read on, you know, some like, you know, how did conspiracies theories start in like the 1500s, like just completely random things that I'm like, yeah, I'm interested in all of it. So yeah. <laughs> I'm really trying to, I don't know, just let that part of me have room to explore. and And books is kind of like the perfect method.
1: Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. Like I feel with, Fiction or fantasy, there's a lot of different entertainment, you know, avenues. You can see movies, you can play video games, you can read books. Where with nonfiction, with actually learning something, I mean, you can certainly go online and read articles, but it's probably always best to you know, read a book. <laughs> and so yeah. I kind of, you know, kind of read a lot for the exact same reason. And I'm kind of I don't know, I was curious if you do this, I usually have like three books going at once. because, And I don't know if that's good, because I've noticed that I, I leave, you know, a lot of them like half finished, but <laughs> I kind of like that. because then I have like, you know, a bunch of different topics. So if I'm, you know, not interested in, in one that particular day, do you have multiple books going at once? Or do you are you good at just reading through one at a time?
2: I typically do two books at a time just so I have the opportunity to, like, if I'm not really clicking with a book or it's just, like, taking longer than I want, I can switch it up and and go for something else. Um, I do try to, like, rotate in audiobooks every once in a while just so, you know, I have a different method for learning and I can be more mobile. Like, if I want to, you know, spend a day going for walks and stuff, then I can just throw on an audiobook and keep learning or – I think with books, I do try to stop myself from like over consuming a particular topic as, as a way to like stop myself from like spiraling out into a, you know, a worthless dissertation in my head. <laughs> so I'm like, I'll, I'll just go, I'll go topic to topic. That way I'm always kind of, I don't know, it's that brain elasticity where I'm always just jumping from thing to thing. And, um, I feel really comfortable there and I think if I get too consumed it often you know I don't know my brain just kind of gets really obsessive with some stuff and uh having multiple effects at the same time is like a great way to like stop that from happening so
0: that's a way to keep you from being overwhelmed I'm I'm assuming
2: yeah yeah Uh, because I I would definitely have a tendency to like very comfortably be like yeah I'm gonna do like 45 books in a row on this single topic. Like, I'm going to become an <laughs> armchair expert. And then I'm like, uh, no one needs that. and Like, no one needs you to do that. And actually, you would make all of your relationships worse if that's what you decide to do for the next, like, month of your life. So don't do it. Yeah, you never want to go too far down the rabbit hole.
1: <laughs> to yeah, where, like, I'm, exactly. relate to I'm not a, the biggest non
0: fiction reader, but I'm going to uh, give a, a shout-out to fiction because I, I am married to a, a, a lawyer slash writer who who loves fiction and has studied like African American literature and and had a had a was getting a PhD in English, so she's read a lot of fiction, far more than I have. Um, and, and
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> but fiction, I, I've been reading more fiction lately over the last couple of years, and um, some of it's some of it's trash, but some of it's really interesting, and you can weave some ideas in there. And there's yeah. one fiction book that always like stuck out to me. And that was war that I didn't think was going to be good. I was just like, oh, right, let me I just got it one day and it was World War Z. Have you? Yeah, that that book was like be, way better than what it should have been. I've, I've seen the movie. I haven't I haven't read the book. Uh, the book okay. is far superior to the movie. The movie just <laughs> like, bullshit zombie action movie. The move, the book, it kind of talks about all these random like political and socioeconomic things and like, you know, human trafficking. Organs harvesting, uh, international politics, and it's all weaving into like these, you know, different reports about different people and how they fought the zombie, the War War Z, and it's, it's a really, really good book. It's uh, so there's some good fiction out there. So don't, don't, yeah,
1: don't, I don't, yeah, <laughs> no. I don't want to come across like I'm hate fiction readers in any way. Like it's definitely cool, and you can have awesome, you know, even in made up things, there's there's truth
2: to be found in there. So I don't want to come across like I'm hating nonfiction. I know I, I I'm I've said pretty publicly, like, my greatest jealousy with all my book friends is, like, how good they are at reading fiction. Like, I, I wish I, like, I wish I could kind of let my brain enjoy consuming fiction the same way I do nonfiction. I just, for some reason, I can't. But, no, I am so jealous of, you know, I have friends that they're like, yeah, I've I've read, like, 30 fiction books this month. And I'm like, that's, that's awesome. Like, I, I want to do that. <laughs> Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. Didn't didn't mean to throw shade at the fiction readers. I just feel like people who read yeah. nonfiction is so much rarer, so it's like fun ah, to yeah. see. But um, while we're throwing shade at, at certain types <laughs> of books, yeah, um, yeah. I wanted to ask you about because I th- I think it was just in one one of your TikToks you briefly mentioned it, but it was kind of about self help <laughs> help books. <laughs> maybe... it. Was funny. It <laughs> was funny. <laughs> yeah.
2: And maybe not yeah, always. Yeah,
1: I. Go ahead.
2: No, I I make an uh, occasional video on it. About once a month, I'll I'll talk shit about self help books, and then I won't do it for a while just so it like you know the conversation cools down. Um, just it it can get like the comment section can get pretty toxic pretty quickly if yeah. you're just
1: constantly
2: <laughs> attacking something. So um, yeah, no, I I I am an ardent opposition to self help books because I think. In every real sense, like the ideology that they're mostly preaching is pretty toxic. I think almost all self-help books can be distilled into the concept that you are a more productive, better worker if you do these things. And each book handles it very differently. You know, sometimes it's like de stressing your life. And it's not actually about like your happiness or your contentness or or like making life what you want it to be it's like no you can just like work harder that way it's like this is disgusting to me (laughs) um and i i hate to see that type of ideology spread so widely especially because self-help is such a like big seller like uh, you go into a bookstore and uh a good half of the non-fiction section is going to be generic self-help stuff which one i don't think The writers are very talented. I I, I actually do think (laughs) it's it's a full-on grift for a lot of people, and I just – I think that needs to be said, and so I do it. (laughs) I I say it.
1: Very well said. I could not agree more, and I kind of share the – well, I definitely share the kind of – I see it as a grift and – Also to to a grift on very vulnerable people. I mean, obviously people who are going out to the bookstore to the self-improvement are clearly like, you know, wanting something out of life. And I find a lot of, I agree with you that it's all very like, you know, grind culture and hustle and how to be like more productive rather than about, you know, being a happier, more well-rounded person. And it it also, a, a lot from the little bit I've read too, it's also very I don't know what the right word is, but it's very just uh, the, like.
0: The word you're looking for, Brian and, and Nathan, is, is bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> and one in particular is the secret. Do you remember that shit? The, the like, secret of imagine Just yeah. imagine like, it can happen. It's just like I was single at the time, so I could sit there and imagine that I'm dating Rihanna for like decades and have a fucking picture of her on my refrigerator and be like, I'm dating Rihanna. But the only thing that's going to make me is probably some weird, creepy stalker and have a room with a bunch of Rihanna pictures in there and out of folders and shit. And if I ever met her in real life, she'd run away because it was, like, creep alert. So, (laughs) shit doesn't happen. It's not going to manifest that, I'm dating Rihanna. So, it's just, it's bullshit.
1: That's what, it's all, it's all very, like, light, like, advice, but not really real. You know, just like, oh, just smile more and, like, be positive. (laughs) And it's like, all right, well, that's, like, all well and good. But I guess there's not a lot of substance I
2: would say, to it, you know? Um, I think they pass off a lot of their, just, like, made-up stuff. Like, they're they're just inventing whatever they're talking about. And they pass it off as, like, hard sciences, which I think is really problematic and, and, like, further divides people against science. But I also think there's a component of that, yes, they are absolutely preying on very vulnerable people. And it's used as a scapegoat for people to not realize that the issues that they are facing are like systemic issues like built into the system and the society that we live in. And so it like helps people to focus away from the things that they should actually be focused on, like the things that they should really be thinking about of like maybe they need to build solidarity and form a union network because they're yeah. so tired instead of like – no, if you just wake up at five a.m., you'll have the energy to like work <laughs> right. ten hours a day. It's like no, I'm, like maybe you actually deserve healthcare and benefits yeah. for your job. Like this is not, this is not actually helpful. It's it's really sinister. That that is a super good point. Yeah, it kind of they all kind of focus
1: on like you as the individual and like things you need to work on when really improving your quality of life. Like you do have to work on yourself, but you also have to work on building communities, solidarity, like you said, with unions and things. And I, I think it often doesn't even they don't even like bring that stuff up. You know, like it's never a question that there might be things wrong with the world. The, you know, that you can work on and feel good about. It's like always, you know, like you're doing something, you know, the like whole Jordan Peterson well, clean up your room type it, shit. It,
0: it's a very like, yeah. uh, it's a reflection of our culture being very individu- individualistic and kind of like the mm-hmm. way to keep it that day, way and just be like, all the palms in your life is your fault. I mean, I had a, a, a heated discussion with a, 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 a friend of mine who who's went down the right wing path. But anyway, um, you know, he's like, personal responsibility, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, Personal responsibility has nothing to do with like cops like shooting random unarmed civilians and shit like that. Personal responsibility has nothing to do with you know uh, systemic racism or sexism. If, if like that's that's like someone who gets sexually assaulted and like, well, what were you wearing? It's the it's the victim shaming and it's yeah. kind of like this whole thing that America this our society does is like every problem you see is an individual fault. Well, you know you walk past a homeless person and if you give a homeless person a couple of dollars. You know, and then more homeless people come up and, you know, unless you're like super, if you have under supply of money, which no one does, you can't give them all money. And even if the money you give them is not going to change the fact that they're still homeless. And then, you know, just like, well, but that's just their problem. And, you know, you, you're you not trying to help them enough. So it's like everything becomes just an individualized problem versus like maybe it's our society that allows so many people to be homeless or allows our work to stress out, stress us out to the point where we don't take breaks and we just have to work three or four jobs just to pay the rent. because everything's an arm and a leg nowadays.
2: Yeah, I think they're just, it's just band-aid solutions. And really Mm -hmm. like ultimately what it, what it leads to is people not thinking critically about the world that we exist in, which is a really sad thing to me. It's not just people are being taken advantage of. It's like, no, they are missing out on the opportunity to view the world as complex and their, you know, their coworkers or their bosses or anyone in their life as part of a complex system instead you know it just boils down to like five talking points you know like you know clean up your room make your bed you're like okay well (laughs) great i think we just wasted (laughs) yeah Yeah. wake up early
0: 5 a.m
1: do some meditation (laughs) yeah Yeah. go for a walk around your neighborhood (laughs) (laughs) um but i think uh Lauren and I have talked about this a lot on the podcast about how kind of reading really changed our, our worldview about everything. I mean, I grew up conservative parents, pretty conservative household, and then going away to college and just having to read, you know, whatever, between 20 and 100 books a semester, um, just about history. Really, just all that reading really just which is really just, you know, acquiring different perspectives and different knowledge. Um, really changed my my worldview and completely like was a complete, you know, fork in the road and led me down a different path. Um, would you say, Nathan, that reading has done the same for you? Or was it other things in life that then got you kind of interested in
2: reading more of these like nonfiction topics? How, how'd that play out for you? I think for me, reading was definitely like the secondary way in which it happened. I think the primary way in which like I began my political dissent, I would say dissent just because it's <laughs> you know, not a uh, normal American ideology, but into just like communism and socialism, the way that I ended up there was because I'm disabled and I was not disabled as a teenager. And so I saw the world as a very particular thing when I was 16, 17. And then as my illness progressed over my 20s and I kind of deteriorated a little bit, I, I it, it was just like a fracturing for me, a disillusionment with, what was going on in the world. And I started just viewing things differently and uh, much more depressingly in some sense. I think there was a little bit of like doomerism or black pill stuff going on. And books were a great outlet for me to like make those ideas concise and make those ideas fleshed out or to build upon each other where, you know, it wasn't just my anger with a broken system, it was now learning how the system got broken, you know, learning the history of how we got to that point. And then I could read some theory to explore how other people had viewed the system throughout, you know, history and modern times. And, um, you know, that is not the only thing that I read. It's not the only thing that I talk about on my channel, but when I look at, you know, where do I go from here? and, And if I, you know, start writing books like that is absolutely like the, the lane in which I will find myself in is, Letting books take me further along that line and just reinforce what the fracture, like how the fracturing happened. So I think for me, definitely becoming disabled and schizophrenic uh, was radicalizing. And I think for a lot of disabled people, it also is. I just think the one of the issues is we just don't hear from disabled people that often in society, Um, like unless they have a platform like mine. Or you know, bigger or smaller, or whatever. We just don't hear from disabled people because they are they are literally not present. They are not they are often not in the workforce. They are often not in a lot of social circles, and so it's the ultimately forgotten about group. And um, yeah, that's what I'm trying to secretly use my TikTok for. I'm I'm definitely like promoting books that I like, but like underneath it all, and you'll find it like every few videos where it's like, yeah, this is a great book. Also, we need a revolution, you know, like that's, (laughs) that's really where it's, it kind of is. And like, even simple as something as simple as like the posters that I have in the backgrounds of my videos, like those are all like propaganda posters, like, and I like, I'll readily admit that. So, you know, I'm subtly and not so subtly trying to push a political message with the stuff that I do. So a couple things I
1: wanted to ask you about that. First, um, you have a poster behind you in a lot of your videos that I love, and I almost like want to get a tattoo of it. And it's like a book (laughs) opening and it has like a sunrise with
2: like a face above it. Do you know what that's from or where you got that? Yeah, it's a um, it's a 1950s Russian propaganda poster, and it just means uh, education and knowledge for all. And that's when uh, the USSR um, made education free for everyone. And that was like what went along with it. Awesome. I'm definitely gonna have to uh, <laughs> I was really like thinking about that like, that would
1: be a good tattoo because I'm like trying to you know it's hard to put like thoughts about like the importance of knowledge and stuff. And so yeah, I really like that one. Um but kind of um more with about because I love you know what you're doing about you know promoting um you know just kind of shedding light on, on disabled people and what they had to deal with. And I do think uh schizophrenia is definitely I mean, myself included, I would say a majority of the population knows nothing about it. I mean, we hear the word schizophrenia, and you know, I think the like general public picture is that like, you know, you're scared that like people are out to get you. But um, could do you mind? I mean, if you don't want to, that's fine. But if you want to just talk a little bit about, I'd be interested. What would you, you know, like with schizophrenia specifically, like. I guess I'm asking, like, what do you want most people to know about, you know, people who are schizophrenic and, you know, what we can do to kind of, you know, improve the, the, the situation for people who have schizophrenia?
2: Yeah, I think just about the illness in general, I think people should realize it's a very complex illness. It has... Unlike a lot of other illnesses, you know, like depression would manifest itself in like, let's say like three or four symptoms. Typically, schizophrenia has like 15 to 16 symptoms like it's a wide gamut of what it does to a person and not just cognitively with like hallucinations and delusions, but also like how it affects your body and how it affects your ability to organize and how it affects your ability to uh, have a clean house. Like it's kind of an all encompassing illness Um, So yeah, I think like viewing it complexly is a really important thing. But also, I think the ways in which schizophrenia exists within society are kind of predetermined. And and I think they're based on societal failures towards disabled people and towards mentally ill people. Like the idea that we have about schizophrenics being homeless and, and ending up in prison and being violent. These are all things that are just culturally reinforced through the media, and they are things that happen because of the failings of of not having healthcare, of not having social safety nets, of not having you know public education for, yeah. first. But I I think I think that's one of the things that I I am also trying to do with my page is just show people uh, I'm a schizophrenic like I'm a I'm a pretty normal dude that you you might want to go grab a cup of coffee with and talk to, you know, about a book or a movie or a podcast or whatever. Like I'm, there's nothing about me that I think screams exceptional or crazy or any of those types of things. Um, and that's just because I have the privilege of, I have housing, I have medication, I have therapy, and those are all things that by and large people with schizophrenia do not have access to. It's not only just they don't don't have them in their life readily. It's just like even accessing them in the United States is a very difficult process. And I, I think this, this is just like a random fact, but I think people should know. Just I think it's like it kind of perfectly sums up what I'm talking about. People with schizophrenia that do end up in the prison system, the largest reason they end up in the prison system and they are there for a long time uh, is because yeah. of trespassing. It's not because of violent crimes. Uh, it, oftentimes it's for like simple drug possession because we also have a problem with that in this country. Um, but yeah, yeah, the 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 biggest reason a person with schizophrenia is going to end up in the prison system is just because they were in the wrong place. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. And it's not a sinister thing. They weren't robbing a business. It's like, no, they were probably out for a walk, which is like a really therapeutic thing. And they were probably trying to escape the voices in their head, or they were probably unsure of where they were in the moment, which can it definitely happen. And um, you know, that's I don't think anyone would think like, oh yeah, we need to lock up ten thousand people for trespassing, uh, right. especially people that have been, I mean, incredibly neglected by the system. And yet we do. Well, yeah. yet yet we do, and therefore people with schizophrenia have this. I don't know, this stereotype above their head that they are, you know, violent. Yeah. There's like a a stigma.
1: It's like put under like, oh, they're crazy. And then that's that, you know, there's no other, like, (laughs) you know, no other analysis of what's going on. It
2: becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like you view them as an undeserving group and therefore then you do not help them. And um, that's just, that's not the reality of the situation. And I, I, one of the things I want to stress most to people is I'm not an exceptional case. I have exceptional, um, care. I have exceptional resources, but my life story should not be like in a fair system. I would not be exceptional. And that's, exactly. that's the tough reality of the situation.
0: Yeah. And, and Nathan, I'm glad you kind of touched on that. Um, cause you know, we do have a media culture, because um, every time like there's a, a mass shooting, they always be like they had mental health problems. And my background yeah. is I'm a I'm a licensed social worker. So and and I've have family members in who's dealt with uh, mental illness. Hell, I've, I've dealt with it uh, myself as a, um, a former ward of the state and and veteran. So thought <laughs> about getting traumatized multiple ways um, by society. Um, and, and it's the way we kind of disregard that or kind of create these stereotypes around those things. Um, and then on top of that, when you talk about individuals with disabilities who are not part of the workforce. First off, there are people who with disabilities are part of workforce, but then there's a whole range of people who are not part of workforce because of their disability. And because we live in a society where the only way you are a productive member of society is if you're out making money for someone else. So therefore we kind of yeah. erase these individuals. And that, and that's definitely not fair. And it kind of just kind of out of sight, out of mind. We get, at the end of the day, yeah. you know, these are people too. <laughs> yeah, it's not like, you know, you yeah. come out of some membrane or something like, oh, I'm <laughs> an alien. You're <laughs> real people. And it's like, so I think what you're doing is really, really, really awesome in, uh giving a voice to uh, groups of people who, who usually are either forgotten about or they're over there somewhere and that's their own thing because um, it, it's very important for uh, folks um no matter what their disability is to be to be visible and be heard because they're they're just you're a productive member of society Um uh, just mm-hmm. because you don't have to you go clock into some place and make some asshole a bunch of money um and they fire you you know before christmas <laughs> which happens all the time in this country doesn't mean you're not a productive member of society but that's just kind of how we frame things if you're only productive if you make people money <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: yeah absolutely well, But
1: just to pat you on the back a little more, I do think you are part of a a successful revolution in this country as far as having people more accepting and starting to change these things. Because I've seen a big change even within, you know, I'm 35 years old, even within my lifetime, like younger in high school, like saying you, you were going to therapy Was like, you know, like, oh my, like you would never tell people that, you know, that would be something you would keep to yourself. And if it got out, like, oh my God, you'd be so embarrassed. But now it's commonplace as it should be. I mean, especially, you know, especially with (laughs) the way our system works and all the different traumas that are caused. Um, You know, it's it's uh, most people, if not all people should be going to therapy, you know, and and I've definitely seen that change in my lifetime. Where now like within my group of guy friends, you know, my one of my friends like, yeah, I started going to therapy. Well, that's awesome. You know, good for you. Rather than being like, oh, God, this is, you know, you know, what's wrong with you? You're going to therapy, you know. So because of people like you, I, I really maybe I'm being a little too positive, but I do feel like, you know, the wheels starting to move on that a little bit. Um. But you you mentioned that that going through this kind of radicalized you, was it just dealing with dealing with the system as far as the medical institutions or dealing yeah. with how people you know, treated you? What was kind of the radicalizing part about that?
2: Yeah, I, I think it was all of it. like, and I know it's too big to get into all of like the niche ways in which it impacted me. But there were things as simple as, I experienced some threats of violence from some people for, for telling people I had schizophrenia. Like they, oh, they became shit. like instantly scared of me in ways that were, you know, oh, completely unwarranted. Um, I've also received a fair bit of, um, I don't know if it's exactly malpractice, but of stigma from the medical system of yeah. doctors, almost instinctually not believing my symptoms and and chalking them up to, you know, delusions or hallucinations. Um, you know, and so I I risk getting worse health care, even though I'm doing the right thing and seeking out health care for like issues. I risk receiving worse health care because of the like medical biases against people with schizophrenia. And also The disability system that we have in the United States, specifically the economic system that we use for people to be, quote-unquote, on disability, um, in every real sense, it is a form of forced poverty for people. Uh, You cannot be on disability and live a fully functional life without either secretly hiding money from the government receiving support from friends or family which does not exist for everyone so you are either you are either cheating the system which i actually i don't care about go ahead or you More it's the only it's the only way to exist as a disabled person um yeah and it's a really sad thing to see and and i think one of the things that that radicalized me almost instantly was like okay so i did all of the the things that I had to do, I filed for disability. I got, I got insurance. I was, I was seeking medical care, all these things. And then they paid me, um, when it started, when I first got my disability, I think back in 2018, they paid me $718 a month. Um, and that was my livelihood. And on top of that, I was receiving food stamps. And because I made $718 a month, my food stamps uh were $19 a month. Like that's that's what I as a human from the United States government was worth. I was wow. worth you know less than less than $750 a month and I was also I they thought my food budget should be less than $20 a month.
0: That's not even and, and, like a pound of apples and, and paying
1: rent anywhere no, with $700 yeah, a month is there's nowhere in this country nowhere. that rent is under a thousand dollars, whether exactly. it be an apartment, condo house, like you're not getting anything right. for under yeah. a thousand dollars.
2: Well, and then they would say, well, yeah, use, use government assistant housing, you know, rent can, you know, those types of things. And you just do one Google search about finding, um, section eight housing. And you will see that the section eight housing in your area is, has at least a three year waiting list. Um, Jesus. and a lot of disability stuff, like a lot of the benefits of disability are not accessible if you are homeless. so if you if you <laughs> or section eight housing in some states, like if you end up homeless at any point because you didn't make enough money to pay for rent, um, yeah, you you just you can't have housing. you know it's just you were homeless, so why don't you just stay that way? And the system is just built in this way. Like, that that's how the legislation operates. Yep. And it doesn't operate that way out of, like, an accident. It's very on purpose. It's very, like, historically, like, I, I think, constructed. And so realizing, like, the system itself doesn't give a fuck about me. Sorry, I don't know if I can swear. But oh, no, the you, can swear. <laughs> you <can laughs> swear. Doesn't care about me. And, like, so then you just start spiraling from there. And and that's where, like, it was honestly, like, just a, I think, and, a devolution of mainstream political ideology for me. And this is where we've talked about this a thousand times
1: on this podcast, where all the money that we spend bailing out Wall Street, not taxing corporations, doing all these foreign wars of aggression, all this money, you know, like, for even police. if you don't – yeah, police, even if you don't care about people, what we're doing to the rest of the world – this is literally money that's being stolen from us that should be used for things like this for disabled people, for our education system, for our healthcare system, for our infrastructure. And it's just for being stolen homeless people. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just being stolen from us and used. And I, I, I don't think people grasp, you know, people will complain like when the soda tax comes in, they got to pay an extra, you know, 75 cents to buy a pop. But it's like when people get mad about stuff, like I'm like, man, imagine how mad you would be if you read about like, you know, all the, ag- the real wealth that's being stolen from you all the time. And, you know, I mean, it's just everyone's talking, you know, all the mainstream media is talking about all these mass shootings that, you know, that, like more than a thousand people have been killed in gun violence so far this year. And it's like, well, yeah, because we really have mental health, you know, as much as people politicians always use it as an excuse for things, but they never – We never address it in this society, like in any in any real substantial way. And it's just, you know, knowing.
2: go ahead. Yeah, it's a scapegoat. I mean, when they when politicians bring up the mental health of America, they're not saying they want to treat the mental health of America. They are saying this is the cause of it. And it is a basic moral failing that the mentally ill exist, I think, in some sense, without Mm -hmm. developing into like exact eugenic rhetoric they are just saying, yeah, let's just blame the mentally ill, and then we don't have to do anything else. Like it, it absolves us of confronting the actual issues that surround the people in this country, and um, yeah, and it works every time. And that's like the yeah, thing is, yeah. like if, if a if a shooter has schizophrenia, which you know people with schizophrenia are much more likely to be victims of violence than cause exactly. violence, but if a shooter mm-hmm. does have schizophrenia, well, that you know that's that's if, what happens, and it's then a reason and then to nothing is off. done. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. Yep. So, it's just it's a horrible system that we have and uh I think I'm sure the audience would agree, it's a system that is it seems like getting worse and I think that's what a lot of people are sensing and feeling and that's that's where we're living at this moment is like we know the system is crumbling and we are just trying to either like make emotional sense of it or intellectual sense of it and I think like for me I definitely lean into that I'm trying to make Intellectual sense of it, and that's you know that's one of the big reasons why I do this book talk stuff in the first place.
0: Yeah, and one of the things I was thinking about, uh, kind of what you are saying, Nathan, is about kind of like the, the mental health, um, what they would call a crisis, and how it, it's it's a one easy solution. I mean, there's it's a lot more complex because you talked about even medical professionals um, who are you know psychiatrists, uh, psychologists, kind of dismissing your system, dismissing your symptoms. I've I've been through the mental health care system as a as a uh, as a vet and and seen well you know that doesn't happen normally blah 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 and I it's like well I'm I'm telling you uh so it, it's a problem with some of the, the, the doctors and, and getting better training for them but one big thing is we 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 have criminalized it and instead of giving people Medicare for all and having a system where like anybody can access mental health um, services if they need them um we just like oh well if someone's having a mental break. Um, we'll call the cops. And nine times out of ten, that's going to, you know, the cops are going to, they're not trained in mental health professionals. So they're going to escalate it. And it's going to end up being with um, a person who's having this uh, um, mental break or crisis getting killed, shot or injured or killed by the cops. and oh, yeah. That's absolutely ridiculous. And Brian and I talked about this on our policing episodes of why we have this one profession that is responsible for all these jobs. And the only way they know how to handle anything is just like point their guns and shoot. Um, it's a it's a failing of the system, not of the individuals, but we flip that around and it's so many Americans who feel like it's their own fault and it's not. It's it's this it's the system. We we allow um folks with mental disabilities to end up in jail and prison, um, because that's the only way that they can get care, um, versus like giving people access to universal health care and then they can they can get it on their own in and, and a social safety net. Um yeah. And as a social worker, it just pisses me off that our system, you know, um, punishes people for for being poor or, or not having
1: resources. And it's funny because Absolutely. they get pushed. The system pushes them into that poverty and then blames them for being in that situation. Exactly. Um. But but kind of on that on that subject. So I saw in, I think it was one of your more recent videos where you um you promoted a book called Health Communism. Uh was that
2: one that you read or you just heard about that it was that it was good? Uh yeah, no, it's it's one that I read. It was my, I think, fourth favorite book of the year. Um it's from the authors are from the Death Panel podcast, which is a, a healthcare uh or health policy podcast. Um, I just heard that's really and they good. wrote this it's an incredible podcast. Like absolutely okay. check it out. Um and yeah, they wrote this book, Health Communism, about just like how i think building solidarity specifically in the u.s system but also internationally one of the best ways to do it is to create health systems to promote solidarity um and it's a really interesting look kind of at history and uh philosophy uh it's it's absolutely essential it's a it's a dense read i will warn people um people might have to take a little bit of extra time working through this book, but it is riveting and it is incredibly important.
1: Okay. So kind of, I mean, I did, once I saw your video, I added it to my, what, where does, did they use the term communism in the title, as far as referencing building solidarity and kind of, you know, a mass, I guess just a new kind of social system to support like a new form of Medicare. Is that kind of why communism was in the title?
2: Yeah, they are – well, they are outspoken communists, so I think, like, that's one of the things. Um, (laughs) They also draw a lot of their – a lot of their research comes from a German um, kind of co-op group called SPK, and SPK um, was, like, the furthest left-wing branch of German politics, I think, in the 1970s. I'm not exactly sure on that. And so a lot of the things that they draw from in this book, as far as research goes, are things from uh, this group who um, talked about like health communism is a quote from uh, this group in Germany. So I think okay. that's where the title comes from. And then it's also just a really catchy, uh, good title to throw yeah. on something because I think it, it conveys yeah. the ideas that you're trying to come or like put across uh, pretty quickly.
1: Yeah. <laughs> No, I'm definitely uh, adding it to my reading list, because I'm like, that's intriguing. And I'm kind of in the middle of my own political awakening. You know, I, I've I, I've read like Marx before, and I, I never, um I don't know, I, I'm learning a lot more about the history of communism lately and socialism and things. And I always, you know, I think it's interesting. There's people who... You know, I think just generally, people who want to, you know, understand there's a lot of issues with the world, and that they're systemic, and that we need to work together to solve them. And so you might fall under all these different. I, you know, some people, you know, might not have read Lenin or like different things, but it, you know, we're kind of all coming together that like, hey, shit's really fucked up. We need to improve things. And exactly. so, and yeah, you know, and yeah. So it's, um, but. Another book that you brought up that I did read that I just wanted to hear your opinion about, because I thought it was absolutely fantastic, um, was the book about the Vietnam War called Kill Everything That Moves. I saw on your channel that you, you know, you recommended it. Um, What what did you think about the book? What what did you like about it that made you recommend it?
2: Yeah, it was also another one of my top 10 reads of the year. Um, So both of those videos are pinned on my page uh, with my top 10. So if anyone wants to check out that list. That's there, but, um, yeah, Kill Everything That Moves, um, or Kill Anything That Moves, I can't remember, but, um, yeah, the basic premise of this book is a journalist investigates the Vietnam War decades after it happens, and what he finds in his research is the the most prominent moment of the Vietnam War was this thing called the My Lai Massacre, yeah. and which it finally became – I think, obvious to the American people that the United States was committing war crimes in Vietnam. And the basic premise of the book is uh, my lie was one event. What actually was happening was a my lie was happening every single week of that war. Uh, it was just war crime after war crime after war crime. And and the book goes into that and explores the different war crimes that were happening, which is a incredibly difficult Uh, depressing read. Um, Mm -hmm. But also so important. I think it's something that people need to understand. I think for me, I actually I have not even recommended, you know, capital. I haven't recommended the Communist Manifesto Uh, one because I think they're not super accessible. I don't think a lot of people are going to pick up an 800 page book on economic theory (laughs) But also a lot of my audience comes from the West. A lot of it comes from the United States and capitalism is ingrained in your brain. You like the, yep. the ways that you view the world are a capitalist viewpoint and that's how your education worked. That's how mm-hmm. even almost it might every be the college most, class that you took. Yeah. It yeah. might be
1: the most yeah. ingrained taboo topic, you know?
2: Yes. And I think something like kill anything that moves is chipping away at that. And I think those are the types of books that I really want people to read. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Go read theory if that's your thing. But more importantly for just like the mass audience that I have is uh, read books that confront the idea of capitalism in its own ways. And I think one of those things can happen through, yeah, view the Vietnam War as that America was the bad guy. Like that's a good way to Mm -hmm. chip away at your your connotations of how America has existed and um, another really good book is The End of the Myth by Greg Grandin, which is a book about viewing the United States as not this country that was born out of some great political minds <laughs> and, you know, it you know, got to where it was. It's like, no, it built an empire, like yep. – we have to stop thinking of a country as America as, like, the country that could, you know, just <laughs> – no, America is an empire. It is the exactly. empire at this moment in history. And, mm-hmm. like, unless you view it as that, like, the, you stand no chance to confront capitalism. You stand no chance to confront, I, I think, the system in place that is is causing more harm than I think a lot of people even, like, even – can come to understand um with like the anger that you know the anger that i felt by becoming disabled was like wow the system is bad and then it's like yeah then i started reading history books and i'm like oh the system's like worse than i thought <laughs> yeah, and like that's what, worse what, than that's you could what i done. really want people to get to yeah,
0: yeah. well I, I tell brian this all the time and i, and I quote uh, one of my favorite uh hip-hop artists immortal technique and he talks about you know the founding of the united states and he's like uh, slave trade was the capital for capitalism. I'm like this country was founded on the exploitation and, and sla- enslavement of you know African people, and also on on top of that, the genocide of indigenous peoples um, in the Americas and other parts of the world. Um, and they're just like, oh, we can, oh, they they just magically. It's just like, oh, we had Thanksgiving. And some reason they all disappeared on <laughs> reservation. Yeah. And, and all these black people are poor, but they just don't work hard enough. That they're just lazy. That's why. <laughs> and the whole and, and we see the reactionary forces are trying to like you know prevent that history from even being out there. Because we see that asshole in Florida, Ron DeSantis, who the liberals were like, he's just a moron. No, he's a dangerous asshole. He's not a moron. He knows exactly what he's doing, but he just banned like teaching of African American history. So like You're literally banning American history. That's like saying we can't teach indigenous history in this country. It's like the Native American, this is like, it's part of the, they're part of the, they're still here. It's still indigenous people here. still black people here. It's still white. It's dangerous. Yeah. It's
2: dangerous to like promote any ideology that isn't the white Eurocentric ideology uh, because every other ideology like has confrontations with the system. And uh, if you have Mm -hmm. confrontations with the system, it's not that far. It's not that long before you start spiraling into you critically thinking about an issue, and and so yeah, of course we're always gonna as a country we're always gonna stamp down that mm-hmm. type of stuff, you know. And that's why you, you know, see, as far like, as like the government's concerned.
1: And that's why you see like DeSantis and Florida and stuff starting to ban different books and like learning about you know AP African American Studies and history and stuff because anything that doesn't you know paint. This, you know, our system and the, you know, the, you know, rainbow colored glasses. It'll, you know, it'll, um, I you mean, might in a, a comet. <laughs> right, right, right. Oh, right. So right, right. <laughs> um, yeah, but with that, I really love that. I got, you're right. I can't remember if it's kill everything that moves, kill anything that moves, but, um, I, what I liked about the book too was I felt like it, brought both the historical statistics and the emotion of the people who suffered on them because there's a lot of history books that are just you know this 10,000 people died and it's that but this like yeah. actually told the stories told about the war crimes and yeah. you know it, it takes a lot to make me cry you know i grew up in the you know, what we now call like toxic masculinity culture Mention show any emotions. And so, you know, I'm not saying that as a flex, I'm just saying it's, it takes a lot to make me cry. And I was reading, you know, a passage about, you know, what they did to a village and, you know, basically, you know, raping a girl, girls and killing them. And, and I started to cry just from reading the book. And so it, it's highly emotional. And it, like you said, it does a great job of like, yeah, like America's not this, you know, we, people like to portray it's like either, you know, it's good or it's bad, but like there's America has been millions and millions of different people doing different things. And we need to take off the rose colored glasses and realize that, I mean, honestly, from where I'm standing, I don't know what you guys think, but besides world war two, I think the United States was probably on the wrong side of history in every single war we've ever been. in. I mean, all, all our other wars were like wars of Imperial empire building power you know so it's it's and even and even world war 2 i mean as soon as that ended we couldn't wait to start attacking you know russia and the communists and any kind of social and movement. bring in
2: every single nazi scientist that we possibly <laughs> right. could they they need to, need to build like NASA. it was they like we need to build nasa yeah <laughs> <Right>. uh-huh. <laughs> they raised the white flag it's time to like bring in everything that we can like <laughs> so no right. and i All think right, I was like sorry. that's <laughs> that's one of the things about why i love reading history books so much is um one your high school history class probably was not teaching you these things and even your college history classes at least mine did not go into the theories surrounding how we ended up where we did and getting to do this in adulthood and actually like critically think through history and multi-facets of you know obviously post-world war ii but how we were building an empire in the late 1800s and like I can just see America and its history so much more clearly now than I ever did when I was taking college classes, uh, which is a, I mean, self-directed research. I can't can't say enough good things about it, I guess.
1: No, I completely agree with you. And I think it's Mm -hmm. kind of funny because college is portrayed as like this, like, oh, you know, they're going to brainwash your kids and turn them into like liberal hippies. (laughs) And it's (laughs) like most of my professors I had were way more conservative than I am now. And you're right. Like I did have some good professors in college that, you know, promoted good books that helped me learn a lot. But a lot of it, I just kind of got, you know, I started reading a lot. And then I started going down the rabbit hole on my own. It wasn't like I had these, like, you need to be, you know, I think that's what my parents think. Like, oh, God, they turned yeah. you into a socialist, you know? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, you know, what's so funny when I, I got out. I, went, you know, I guess I'm dating myself. But anyway, yeah, you know, I got out to the, the Navy in uh, 2005 and I, you know, was going to go to college. And, yeah, you know, I, I, I've been reading, you know, I was reading books, you know, about the uh, civil rights movements and black power movement an anti-war movement to Vietnam. So I thought like college was going to be like, we're going to go there and Bush is president. We're going to have a big anti-war movement. We're going to fucking fight the power. And I got there and everybody's like, I'm here because my daddy wants me to be here or I need to get a good job and make a lot of money. And i was just like, it was very few people. I guess that's why Brian and I became good friends that would like to talk about this type of shit. It was just like, they were there to like fucking party, get, 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 the, get the diploma and get the good job. And that's all it was about it wasn't about like learning about the world and becoming a more well-rounded human being. University means universal. So like learning a bit of everything. And and I took that very seriously. But uh, my peers uh, did not. It was just like I need to get a good job and, you know, make a lot of money so I can get a big house and white like, picket fence and 2.2 children and a dog. And that's all great. But like, you know, as you talked about, Nathan, um, we just won health crisis away from losing all that and with no social safety net nor benefits like you're screwed if you if you don't have like a strong social net far like a family members that can take care of you or friends who can look out for you and stuff like that but if you don't and you get hurt and you can't work anymore you're kind of screwed
1: It's it's it'll never ending be frustrating to me how many working class people like always side with the rich and billionaires about things. And it's like, you are so much closer to being that homeless person on the street than you ever are. What are you talking about,
2: Brian? I have a small business. I'm part of one. Right. right? right. Right. No. Well, and I think for almost every single person in this country, if you just, let's say you were walking into the office and you got hit by a car and you became paralyzed and required, you know, six months of physical therapy you risk your whole life. Like you risk mm-hmm. all of the savings yeah. that you've ever had. You risk uh, homelessness. You risk um, <laughs> everything uh, mm-hmm. because of a simple accident. And like, that's the type of system that we have set up. We There's no protections for people. Uh, and the protections that you think exist are, are not real. Like I, yeah. I, I think people just don't understand like how deep these issues go. And the fact that it's, it's not it's not just based on like you got to make good decisions. It's like, no, you can get unlucky and it yeah. can destroy your life. And like for me, like I view, you know, if I never developed schizophrenia, I probably would have gone done my Ph.D. I probably would have struggled to look for an academic job and end up in, in private sector, maybe working for a think tank or something and writing terrible reports. <laughs> but I got schizophrenia, which means I am economically destitute for my entire life just because I got an illness. Um, Yeah. yeah. And that's how the system works. And it's like, oh, that's, that's not, that's probably not how that should be. And I think once you start asking those questions, like you, there's very little stopping you from like, and if there's any, examining everything if there's
1: anything i wish like that this country that we should be able to unify around it's it's having our health care health care taken care of because you're absolutely right it can impact everybody i mean i even remember i have asthma so in junior high i had a couple of real bad asthma attacks and pneumonia that brought me into the hospital and i remember you know my parents try i was still you know only in eighth grade or whatever so my parents tried to shield me but i could tell they were struggling with, like, how are we going to, you know, insurance always, we pay all this money into insurance, and then when it's time for them to actually cover things, oh, well, actually, you didn't quite, this doesn't meet this criteria. <laughs> exactly. So fucking uh, So it disappears when you go world. to get it. So I even I remember, you know, I, sh- I was a little kid. I should have just been worried about my health, but I'm, like, deep down, I'm, like, oh, my God, like, I feel, so- I felt so bad for, like, putting this extra burden on my parents, you know, and luckily my dad had a good job, so it all worked out, but it's, I, I don't know. I wish, you know, if anything, I I feel like environmental, you know, climate change and then like health insurance in this country, like if there's any those are the two issues I try and focus to rally people around, because like this shit's going to impact everybody, even if you're lucky and you're a perfect specimen of health, you're going to get old. You will get sick. Eventually, exactly. Yeah. You know, so none of us are going to be able to escape this. And I think I don't know, it's kind of a problem with humanity where we don't really concern ourselves with a problem until it happens to us. And but in the case of healthcare, but you know that that's too late. You know it, it's it's you know if we all just work together, we could have these safety nets that most other countries have, you know, or a lot of other <laughs> countries at least. Um, but uh, so kind of switching subjects a little bit. Um, one of my f- favorite videos that you did. You went to Barnes and Noble. And you were talking just about the different sections in the books you pitch up, you know, you were picking up and you were like, everything in this section on Russia is propaganda. (laughs) (laughs) And then you like moved on. And I wanted to ask you because I fucking loved it. It made me laugh. And you're absolutely right, because I've during Christmas when I was in Barnes and Noble, I went and I thought the exact same. The whole like current affairs for the most part in Barnes and Noble is like maybe one in a 100 books will be good. But um. (laughs) How did you – because I get this question asked a lot where it's like, well, how do you, you know, identify what's propaganda? And I've always had a little bit of trouble answering that because I feel like for me it's like, well, I've – because of how much I've read, I've developed this, like, kind of general understanding. And I know if something comes with, like, a new idea and then doesn't back it up, I'm like, okay, this is kind of – and you kind of start learning, like, the key talking points of propaganda – but for you personally, like you saw that you were like what gave you the clue that you were like this is propaganda and like you know what, what can
2: other people do? Yeah, I well, I think there's some really unique ways that you can you can handle it. Um the first thing you should look at on a book is uh the publisher. Uh if you want like radical ideas, look for one of the leftist publishers and there's not that many. So like you only have to memorize a few logos uh to like know probably what books are probably better. Um I think that's one. Second, uh check out the author. Check out the author's bio. Um I do not think you need to read history only from professional historians, but I think you're probably you're likely gonna find better history analysis from them. Um but one thing you definitely shouldn't do is um unless it's a vetted journalist or something do not pick up a major media person um, like a, a journalist you've never heard of. That probably that actually could be OK. But if it's you know, if it's um, Dan Rather or it's um, oh I can't I'm struggling to think of like the major people. But like Anderson you wrote Tucker, Anderson. Tucker Tucker, yeah, Rachel Carlson. Maddow, Tucker skip <laughs> it, skip it <laughs> every time. Yeah, um, They are, I think they are the biggest propaganda machine that this country has. And you are never going to get good stuff out of them. And then also, um, I think learning some of the colleges and learning some of the programs, like, you know, like every once in a while, there's like this new uh, University of Austin, Texas thing that they're like starting this new uh, like right wing academic program and there's like things like that like you can learn institutions that you should absolutely avoid if someone works for a think tank in this country and is writing international policy do not read that book like that is not stuff that you should be learning because it 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 literally comes from the state department and in some way so like I think those are just ways to critically view like even the smallest things about, you know, who's blurbing the book. If it's someone that you like have learned across the way to avoid and they're blurbing the book, which blurbing the book just means like they've got a quote on the front or the back um, endorsing the book. Yeah. Avoid that book, too. Um, (laughs) You know. Yeah. Anderson Cooper is not going to endorse noam chomsky's book like that's not that's not how any of this works. so
1: yeah avoid it i always remember when i was in college and i was waiting tables and like there was this family sat down and they were like so you going to school and i'm like oh yeah i'm actually getting my degree in history and he's like, no way, I'm reading a great book by Bill O'Reilly right now on Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh no. God, no. <laughs> I was like, well, I want your tips, so I'm going to skip past that real quick. <laughs> and of course, I think it came out later. I mean, obviously it was just like, his books were just like fraught with h- historical
2: inaccuracies. But um, yeah. no, that's really good I think, advice. I think ultimately, if you if you look at a history book, Uh, specifically russia and china i think those are like the the pretty and and north korea if you look at it and you are like determined that the premise of this book is that these are the bad guys of history uh don't read it Mm -hmm. you know i'm not saying these are not complex issues and that diving into the political structures of 1950s china is not a deserved thing uh what i am saying is like you know China's about to start World War 3 the book you're like it's garbage <laughs> right. like, it's pure right. propaganda well
1: that's why i recently went i had like i hadn't got a, I, I moved to a new city and i hadn't gone and got a library card so cuz i have so many books that i've you know bought or got as gifts i didn't you know i didn't like i don't even have time to go to the library i got to read all these books but i went because i want to start learning more about i'm very interested in Because I am, you know, I am like a socialist. and I'm very interested in communist theory, but I'm interested kind of the decay of the USSR and China as far as, you know, like a lot of early, you know, during the Bolshevik revolution with Lenin stuff, I agree, Karl Marx, like I agree with everything. So I'm kind of interested in the deterioration from that point until like the 50s and 60s where you have like just things that are very you know, like like the KGB and stuff. Like, you wouldn't have a secret police in, like, a communist utopia, you know? So how did that decay happen? And I went looking at, like, some stores uh, for, like, Russian history, and I'm like... I'm like, I gotta get a library card because I just gotta read a bunch of different books. Cause I'm like scared I don't want to spend, you know, 20 books are gonna be expensive just like everything else. So I don't want to spend $20, $30 only to find out that this author is, oh yeah, he's you know, <laughs> Russia bad. You know, like so yeah. yeah. So I'm you know, I'm trying to get into it. But yeah, it can be, you know, even I, I'm sure Nathan, for you too. I mean, it can be hard. You know, you never know what you're getting into. And even if you do read something, I mean it's good to read all point of views. I mean, obviously if you're reading something really stupid, it's probably not going to help you at all, but it's not bad every once in a while. But you know, if you got only so much money you can spend on books, it does, you know, it's sometimes it is hard to navigate.
2: I think for a lot of people, like the, one of the best things that they can do is just it. Obviously you're a podcast person if you're listening. So uh, check out some of the history podcasts by like leftist historians, check out some of the politics or international, um, international relations and international policy podcasts and let them based on who they have as guests, start reading their books. Um, mm-hmm. Cause I think that's your, your fastest way to find the information that you want is, you know, hearing a little bit about a subject and then exploring it more yourself. And uh, I think that's a really, to, to me, that's the way I mostly tackle uh, big history topics. I, you know, I do a fun pop history every once in a while where I'm be like, yeah, I'm going to like read, you know, history of like the oral history of Jaws you know like the movie he's like that's fun like i don't need i don't need to vet who the author is you know other than like (laughs) did they talk to spielberg at one point in history cool like i'll read it um but yeah when it comes to like big foundational issues yeah just just spend just a little bit of time thinking about who this person is and and maybe even why they wrote this so yeah well said um
1: Okay, so kind of on that same thought with nonfiction books and things, so being extremely well-read, I'm sure you suffer from this just like I have, and I feel like most people read nonfiction, is when you read history specifically, um, it can get very depressing, (laughs) because you you talked about it kind of earlier, like you you know knew from your firsthand experience how fucked up the system was, and then reading, you're like, oh my god, it's even way more fucked up than I thought. (laughs) Yeah. What do you do to, to to combat that and, you know, stay happy and healthy, um, you know, even but still, you know, because you got that that urge to learn, which never goes away, which I share. So what do you do personally to kind of balance yourself out a little bit?
2: Yeah, I, I mix it up with books, like I said, like, so if I'm reading something really depressing, then, you know, I'll throw in a fun memoir or I'll throw in a comedy book or I'll throw in even a fiction book, you know, just like. You know, even if it's horror, at least it's some type of different horror than the real world. You know, that's kind of a something I'll do. And I also – I think one of the things that I've I've tried to do is, like, is kind of just accept that learning about the world is going to be a depressing thing. Like, you cannot read a book on climate change and come away being like, yeah, like, we're <laughs> fine. Like no, like, no big deal. Everything's um, Like, you – yeah. Um but that depression, I think there's a difference between like, um, hopelessness and a, a, I think a kind of realism. I think these are like very different things. I don't think it's, it's good to have like hope in the system. And so, um, but I do think it's good to have hope in building communities and hope in your friendships and, and, and getting a lot of what you want in your life from those types of things, you know, like the books I'm going to read are always going to depress me. And I have to realize like, that's okay. Like I just accept that as, as now part of, you know, what I do. And I think looking at hope in a different lens and hope does not have to be a illogical thing. Hope can be a, um, a way to critically view, Like hope does not have to fulfill all facets of life. You know, having hope that my friends can build up, you know, a little bit of a care network to provide for each other. Like that's, that's real hope. That's sustainable hope. That's, that's hope that I can get physically, emotionally and psychologically present in and about. And, um, you know, when you realize like the system's failing, like, you're not going to unlearn that. And so, for me, like, I might as well learn more and more about it, if that makes sense. Like, I already no, know absolutely. it's crumbling. So why not learn why it's crumbling and how it's crumbling and where specifically it is crumbling, you know? So.
1: Yeah, it, it, gives, know. Me, it gives me a peace of mind to... Like if something bad is gonna happen, I'd rather know about for some reason I'd rather know about it and understand it, even if I can't stop it. Like even yeah. you know, I, I'm in a way I've lost hope with as far as like our species and climate change. Like I do kind of see like the end of our species is a more likely than the end of capitalism. Like I think it's that difficult of a thing to overturn, but I still get a peace of mind from knowing why these things are happening. And I think also. With the knowledge, you have a chance to change things. Without exactly. the knowledge, yeah. you're you're fucked, you know? Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Right. And, and like you, I mean, I have an interest in science, so if I get too depressed about, you know, history and things, I'll go read some astronomy book or something to read about, you know, black holes
2: and things and
1: <laughs> things that
2: make our human well, problems seem insignificant. You can't exactly. turn back on ignorance. Like once you once you start moving in the way of like learning you can't go backwards. And I feel like probably yeah. your audience is already on that path. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the only way that you can do, the only only way you can move forward is find ways to emotionally cope with it. And there's a lot of different ways. And I think everyone needs to find their own. But yeah, once you, once you start down the path, you can't just like be like, Oh, that never happened. Like you're, <laughs> you're already moving. Like uh, there's no stopping.
0: Yeah. But I obviously, but folks, you know, um, as someone who, you know, uh, work with activists, um and also served as a, you know, instructor and teacher and, so, uh, and a social worker you know there's a lot of burnout there's a lot of you know you end up like reading a lot about policy and, and dealing with policies and dealing with the system and you get depressed because like you, you're trying to work with clients trying to get them on a straight and narrow and like you know every even that they're trying to do the right thing the system is constantly you know throwing a wrench and things so Take time to, like, enjoy fun things. So if it's, like, going for a walk, working out, if it's, like, you know, taking a nap, if it's just, like, if you want to turn on, like, a silly show on Netflix. I know I'm, I'm a fan of pro wrestling. It's probably, like, the least intellectual <laughs> yeah. thing ever. But, you know, I, I've read books about it. And, like, you know, if I, if I, I got a fun book in there. And, it's, and actually, this guy is, like, a fucking amazing writer who, who wrote this book because he used to write a blog for Greatland um, before ESPN shut it down and it's just like fun stuff like that you just gotta a little bit take your mind off it because like every day you can't be like revolution i'm all for it but like you know if you just kind of get in that funk you can just become like i've met the people i know i'm sure you uh, nathan and brian have run across people who are in in this type of space and in this type of mindset who don't have a joy bone in their body because like everything is just like we got to fight the system and it's like that i understand you but you you can have fun, too.
1: <laughs>
0: when when the revolution comes, you can have an active party once the revolution happens. So, like, don't be – don't always be a buzzkill.
1: <laughs> yeah. Even, even being in the revolution can be – you can make it fun and enjoyable, you know, resisting the system and building community and things. I, I had a similar experience where I was working with, you know, people from Extinction Rebellion. And the one guy that, you know, was a little bit higher up in the organization, I could just tell he was, like, burnt out. And I was talking to him one on one and he was like, you know, a full on awesome guy dedicating his life. But he had like a family, and I could just tell he was getting, you know, burnt out by having to go to work, having to take care of his family, then also doing all this, you know, this activism. And it's like it's like, man, you know, take some time for yourself. Like it's like one of those things like, you know, an airplane, put on your mask mask first and then help others. Cause if you're, you know, in mentally in a bad space where you're not even, you know, happy, it's not it's gonna be a lot harder to help anybody else. Exactly. Yep. All right. Um and I left my the this question for last uh specifically to see maybe cuz I think we I don't know just based on your vibe and what you promote I feel like we would agree on most things. So I'm wondering <laughs> if maybe there's a little room for debate on this one. Um but on one of your uh TikTok videos you um someone asked cuz I assume they could tell that you know you're you're definitely more of a leftist. Oh, I wanted to ask you too. What was that? You made a sweater. What did somebody call you like an inf? What did they call you like a feminine communist or something? And then you made a sweater about a it, feminine
2: commie. Yeah, yeah, a feminine commie, which I'm uh, I'm currently in the process of making a couple merch items with a feminine commie on it. So, oh my God, um, yeah, no, belt. I have I have a sweatshirt now that says a feminine commie because of that, which like they thought they were insulting me, and everyone in my audience was like, Hell yeah, like that's, yeah, right. that's exactly who this guy is. Like, okay, good, like I don't know, whatever, man.
1: Yeah, that's <laughs> the best when like people are like you're a socialist. Yep, you're a communist. Yep, it's like you're a liberal. Right? No, no.
2: Hold no. on. Oh, no, no. <laughs> yeah. oh, yeah. Those yeah. are those are fighting words. Yeah, yeah right, right. <laughs> but um, so
1: I assume most your artists, you know, um, audience got that vibe. And so someone asked you, what are your like more conservative opinions? You know, supposedly. Uh, your first one. I mean, I agree with 100%. Alcohol is not good for you, and it is kind of you know, insane how socially like I was talking with my wife recently about how it's so weird in college. It's like socially acceptable to become an alcoholic, you know, but then like once that ends, then it's
2: not socially acceptable anymore, you know, and it's just it's just like it's not even socially acceptable. It's like socially expected. Yeah, you're you're weird in college if you're not blacked out like at least once a month, which is like that's an insane way to view your health and education systems and your life like that, I, I, I can't comprehend it. It's it's just weird how like elk in
1: mainstream society, alcohol is like the only drug that got this like special designation. <laughs> Cause like I was talking with this about a friend we had had, we had went to a birthday party and it was the next morning and I had to go to my wife's family who they're all Irish and they're all heavy drinkers. And I was hung over and I was like, I don't really want to go. They're going to pressure me to drink. And I'm like, this is the only drug like, what if cocaine was like this? What if I showed up to the party? My nose was bleeding. And I was like, oh, God, I was doing lines all and Oh, whatever. Do more. Here's more. lines, You know, like that would never happen with any other drug. But with alcohol, for some reason, it's like, OK. And it's especially no. weird because like compared to some drugs like weed, like alcohol is insanely destructive. Oh,
0: that's funny because I remember it being when I was a single guy, I, on, I dated a girl and then I went on a date where like I told this date that I smoked weed and she like. Change your whole vibe about me and like stop yeah. fucking with me. And like, we were at a bar drinking. I'm like, what are you fucking <laughs> having to drink? <laughs> and then I dated another girl. Was like, well, that's this is this is liquor. It's not, it's not a drug. I'm like, it has
1: ethanol oh, in it man. that gets you
0: drunk. That's a yeah. drug. It's also it's like a- your position.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's wild. So that, so that one, yeah. Uh, so yeah, alcohol, uh, bad for sure. But, um, The other one you mentioned was that how democracy, how you see you, I mean, maybe I should let you say what you said on the video, but like that basically what you think it's hasn't really worked
2: out all that well. Yeah, I, well, I don't mean democracy, like little, like little D democracy, like as the concept of like, how you can operate a system. I don't think democracy itself is. Uh, exactly the fault i do think american democracy is absolutely inherently flawed um i think it extends to my biggest issue and something that i i want to write about because obviously in tiktok i'm limited to three minutes so i can't like explain the nuances of this position very well but i think freedom is the most overrated thing that we talk about as a country i think freedom is actually can only really be used in order to control a population. I think the ways that we have misconstrued the ideas of freedom in this country are ways that further push propaganda, that further push inequality. Um, Freedom, in its truest sense, is the free market in America, which I think we've all seen just how that is – affecting us. Yeah. Um, and freedom allows for people to take advantage of you and every opportunity that they have. And so when I talk about like a democracy failing, it's that we have so kind of married these two concepts of, yes, democracy, it, it's for everyone. And we all have the freedom. It's like that perfect alignment of those two issues is is why American democracy, like big D democracy, the system that we are in, it's failed. Like it, it doesn't work uh, and it can't work. And I think the only way past it is obviously through some other system or it's through like total societal collapse um because if we if we believe that we can just vote our way out uh, that's insane like it'll it'll never work it can't work in a capitalist system
1: all right no disagreement there i agree with you 100% <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> but yeah i think it's it's impossible. Well, one, I totally – me and Lornette were talking about doing an episode about freedom because it's kind of the mm-hmm. most misconstrued. It's like, you know, I believe in freedom. And it's like, well, freedom to do what? Like, like you're right. Yeah. Most of the time when people in the media are talking about it, it's freedom to enslave. It's it's freedom to, you know um, – Consume. You, yeah, consume,
2: to use people as much as possible. Um, and, well, and freedom – Sorry, freedom, the biggest thing freedom is responsible for is climate change. The idea that we have the freedom to choose and the freedom to consume as much as we can possibly consume is Mm -hmm. the reason we are about to fuck up this world uh, to irreparable, in irreparable ways. um, Because, yeah, we have, the, the companies have the freedom to make large cars that consume a ton of oil and we have the freedom to drive them as much as we possibly want. And then the companies have the freedom (laughs) to never be held accountable for any of their actions. And it's just kind of this revolving door. You can do it with every sector, but Mm -hmm. yeah, it's the, the, the basic thing is freedom. And I think like, that's actually like it in the American system, it is designed to, harm the population more than it is to aid the population couldn't agree more
1: and then back to the about the democracy aspect of it in my eyes it's impossible you can't talk about real democracy without having economic democracy aka workers controlling the means of production because in a capitalist system money will always buy the means of control in in a capitalist system everything is for sale so and you can buy everything and that includes governments and elections and you know politicians and so you can't really talk about like having a choice and people having a say if you stop short of economics because i've heard people say that too like oh we just need to you know if we if we criminalize lobbying everything will be fine and I, while i agree that's a first you know good first step that we should outlaw, yeah. but in a capitalist system, that'll naturally be the gravitation, because like it was, you know, it wasn't that way for a while, and then they slowly made more and more laws um, to allow it to happen. And because that's the the natural gravitation, because businesses, the bigger the business gets, the more power it has, the more influence it can buy, and that's why. You know, I think that's what libertarians miss when they talk about like the just the government being evil. It's like, well, why is the government evil? It's corrupted because corporations and businesses buy and control it. So, while it has the face of freedom and democracy, it's really the exact opposite. And you know, I don't know,
2: at least in this point it doesn't seem like that many people understand that concept yet. I have a perfect book recommendation for it, and it doesn't touch on all of these topics because it is only, I think, like 110 pages, but it is called Elite Capture by Olafemi Taiwo. Um, He's a theorist, philosopher, you know, kind of social thinker, and it is about how the powerful um, capture everything that they possibly can, and specifically around, like, language and rhetoric, And I think it's a really interesting way to view uh, politics because when you talk about something like freedom, the the way that freedom is experienced in the United States is a bastardized concept of freedom. It's not actually like freedom to like exist within a space. It's like, no, it's freedom to consume. But they want you to think that that is freedom. Like they have taken the language of freedom and changed it. And and like the same thing is true with when we talk about like health and wellness – Um, you know, we talk about like, wow, it's so good that people are going to therapy, like you said earlier. And you're like, yes, that is. But why, why is everyone going to therapy now? Like, are they going to (laughs) therapy to just Mm -hmm. like simply cope with the system? And then who is benefiting from the fact that now 35, whatever million people are in therapy? It's like, oh, it's these big market companies that are actually collecting your data, like on every therapy session you have. It's like, no, it's 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 a way to funnel power upwards and to funnel mm-hmm. any hope upwards and elite capture is is like exactly this type of idea and it talks specifically about um like the language that we use surrounding social justice of like yeah, we have to like uh, we have to have uh, more diversity in the workplace. It's like, "No, liberals are going to say that in order to not actually make any changes to the workplace." Like as long as the shareholders remain profitable, like that's the only thing that's important. And and sure, you might put a couple women and black people on a committee, but you're yeah. not actually like threatening the power structures that created the problem in the first place. And, and that's mm-hmm. what elite capture is all about. And I think when you expand that idea outwards and you'll be able to while you're reading it, because it, it is one of those books that you can't. You can't just like read and be like, "Oh, that was nice. It's like, no, you read that. And then you are consumed <laughs> with that ideology for the next like six months of your life. and And you start seeing it like that way. Like I see it within the mental health care system and the disability system of like, no, we've we've corrupted the language surrounding these things. Like one of the biggest things in the in in uh, the schizophrenia space, is talking about, well, we need to use the correct language about schizophrenia. Can like, can you call me a schizophrenic? Or do you have to refer to me as a person with schizophrenia? It's like, man, my biggest like issue is I like I don't have access to public spaces, to healthcare. Like I'm likely to go to prison. Like those are the issues that actually affect someone with schizophrenia. And you just want to like talk about like I, I think journalists need to refer to you correctly. And you're like, yeah, well- that's <laughs> the ways that this happens is for the, the, the powerful to stay powerful. Exactly.
1: Yeah. That's been something that's been kind of irking me a little bit about, and I don't know if it's so much people that are actually leftists or it's, it's a kind of an image put on leftists, but like getting too lost in you know, making sure the white, right words are used for everything. Not that, not that I'm saying, you know, I definitely, we should definitely evolve more inclusive language. Absolutely. But getting too obsessed with just making these band aid fixes that don't actually change the power structure. Exactly. Like you can, you can waste, you know, so much time just. And, 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 and to be honest, too, language evolves. So you'll change, you know, this word to mean something. And then by next year, a different word will be, mean that instead, you know? So it's.
2: Well, let's. I, Let's you know paint the streets with Black Lives Matter and increase the police budget by twenty percent. You're like exactly. Come on, like this isn't how this works. That's not that's not real solutions. Right, right. But we put up a mural, all
0: right, and we and we have a a (laughs) yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) Black Lives do matter. See.
1: (laughs) Oh man. Well. Nate, thank you so much for co- Nathan. I, I so appreciate you coming on. I mean, I could pick your brain for hours and hours. Um, <laughs> any, Anytime you want to come back, I you know, I would love to have you because uh, man, just the wealth. Of knowledge I should, you must I, have.
2: I'd love to join in on like the actual research you guys do and do an episode. I'd love to just, you know, not be, I'd love to just like, you know, just get oh. the full experience. That'd be fun sometime. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, because Join in that's on a
1: regular episode rather than like an interview. Absolutely, dude. Anytime. Um, yeah. I think our next one we're doing Cop City. Have you heard about that in Atlanta? What's going oh, on? Atlanta. There? Yeah, uh-huh. that's a
2: yeah. very big topic. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah and it kind of is it, it, We want to talk about it because it's kind of all encompassing in that it's got, you know, the police brutality aspect. It's got the environmental destruction aspect. It's got yeah. I mean, even international. The
0: international. Yeah. Because, like, right. you know, the Israeli Defense Force is like there yeah. and they basically they want a training ground. I mean, the fuck the thing about Cop City, the most fucked the thing is that basically the city of Atlanta is giving this to them in reaction to what happened in 2020. Like, yeah, exactly. Like it wasn't they weren't even thinking about that shit in 2019. then all of a sudden it's like or maybe they were planning it. And then that just was the impetus for it. It's like finally we have the we need to get law and order. Look at they looting and, and they done, they well, raided the, CIA, the CNN building. God forbid. <laughs> I, I, I one do. of the greatest moments in like in like 2020, like when they were on top of the CNN um, statue and they were holding a Black Lives Matter flag and a Mexican flag and it was like a black guy, a white guy, and a, and, a, and a Latino guy. And it's just like this is a new Atlanta that they don't want. Like the people uprising, like crushing the symbol of like. Corporate corporate power in Atlanta, which is Ted Turner, CNN, and and I do think it
1: did I do think it did scare the like the the George Floyd you know protests and things I think it did scare the power structure and that's why they're doubling down and increasing police budgets around the country is because they know what's coming they know how bad people you know the situation that they in and that people are starting to resist you know the rates of unionization are increasing um, people are getting more active. And I think, you know, they they have no intention of giving up their power. So their solution is going to be to, you know, increase police budgets and, and increase the violence and brutality, because that's really the only language they know. Um, mm-hmm. So we got to uh, get even more, you know, start <laughs> work even harder to get solidarity. And uh, I mean, Nathan, I can't thank you enough. You're a living embodiment of that, just, you know, spreading all the knowledge that, you know, sharing the knowledge that you're learning, sharing you know your mental your mental health situation everything it's it's awesome and all the all the positive shit in the world happens because because uh, people like you and things you're doing so thanks so much for Appreciate coming it. on the podcast yeah anytime you want to come on yeah. um, thank you everyone for listening if you'd like to learn more about this topic make sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Q culture that's Q U E culture you can also visit Lornette's blog the evolving man project definitely definitely check out Nathan's uh, TikTok channel schizophrenic reads. Uh, join his book clubs how do we go about joining the book clubs where do we go for that
2: yeah you can find links on any of my social media's yeah. i'm at uh, schizophrenic reads on both instagram and tiktok and Schizo reads on twitter and yeah i've got a book club and i've got a substack and um maybe some other things i don't i don't exactly remember i do a lot of things but yeah, um, I, should hope yeah, yeah I have a link tree on all, i have a link tree on all my socials where you can find you know all the internet places you can you can uh, spend time with me.
1: Awesome. And we'll share all your links on on our page too when the episode comes out next week. Um, So, and uh, everyone, if you uh, listen to this podcast and you like what you heard, and even if you didn't like like it, give us a a rating or review uh, to help us get noticed. Uh, Thanks again for listening and remember to question everything. Everything. or opinions expressed on this podcast belong solely to Brian Lornette and their guests and do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that Brian Lornette and their guests may or may not be associated with in any professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated.